Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Here is an abbreviated version of the story of my next guest. Her parents were a little sick and tired of her being cast as the slave girl in the school plays when she was a little kid in elementary school. They were also tired of the fact that the school wasn't recognizing that she was as brilliant as she was. So they homeschooled her and she now She just became, in May of 2022, the youngest Black person to graduate from law school in the history of these United States. Welcome, Haley Taylor Schlitz. Welcome to the podcast. Haley Taylor Schlitz is here. Haley is the youngest African-American to graduate from law school. Welcome, Haley. Congratulations. Hi. Thank you so much. 19. You graduated from Southern Methodist (laughs) University Law School at 19. Let's talk a little bit about the genius that you clearly are. How did you start law school so young, and which is why you were able to get out so quickly? How, How did you start so young? It really started when I was uh, pulled out of public school in fifth grade and was homeschooled. I um, was 11 when I was homeschooled, and then I graduated high school at 13, which already put me uh, ahead of the game. And uh, it just kind of took off from there. I did undergrad in three years instead of four, so that also added um, a little bit of a jump. And so I graduated um, college at 16 and law school at 19. When you were 11, you say your parents pulled you out of school and started homeschooling you. Can you tell us a little bit about why they did that? Yes, uh, it was multifaceted. We were already facing a lot of microaggressions and racism in the school. But um, I think the straw on the camel's back was when my mom asked that I be tested for the Gift and Talented program, and they said no. It was It was uh, two sides of the same coin, I guess, the same problem. I was a straight-A student uh, in elementary school, and how my local school district did it was fifth and sixth was intermediate. So when I went to intermediate school, my grades went from straight A's to, you know, straight B's, A's and B's, and that was enough for my mom to be like, hey, you know, like, you doing okay? How's school? Are you learning? And that's when I told her I just really, you know, why put in more effort to get an A when I don't have to do anything and get a B? And she was like, okay, uh, maybe you're not being challenged. You know, if you were intellectually engaged, maybe you'd want to learn and want to invest in this education. So she went to my teacher and asked I'd be tested for the Gifted and Talented program. And the teacher uh, said no. She thought that I should be held back because of how I performed on her, like, end-of-year state assessment. And so my mom went to the principal and went to the school school asked that I be tested for the Gimpton Town program. They said, no, you can only take it in kindergarten. And I was born in Los Angeles and we didn't move here to Texas until I was in second grade. So that wasn't an option. And there were other students who were taking the exam at that same time. So my mom was like, you know what? I got this and pulled me out. (laughs) That is um, an incredible story uh, that resonates with me a little bit because when I was young, my mother, who maybe one day I'll have her on the podcast, maybe I should have your mom and my mom on the podcast. My mother loves to tell the story about how when I was little, uh, she fought with uh, school officials. Uh, My parents really fought and insisted uh, that they test me so I could get access to some more challenging programs. They wouldn't do that for you. And mom said, all right, you're not going to like miseducate my baby girl. I'm going to do it it myself. 
what what is what, what, what's your parent? What are your parents' backgrounds? Uh, what do they do? Yeah, so my mom's an ER doctor, and my dad is a campaign manager. He works a lot in politics and marketing. So um, that's their backgrounds, and she homeschooled us while uh, doing full shifts. So they were busy bees. <laughs> what is homeschooling like? So for those of us who don't have children and don't have children who've gone through the process, a lot of us don't know what that looks like. Uh, do you have access to social activities? I mean, how does it work? Homeschooling, it works this same way. I wasn't entirely homeschooled. I went to a, a college-style school, which is where you go to a, a very cliche building with teachers and peers and lunch and recess and all that good stuff two days a week and the rest of the time you're at home. And uh, But what I did with my mom and my family works even if you're entirely homeschooled. My mom took advantage of a lot of community opportunities and clubs. We did, uh, I did basketball, community basketball, volleyball, horseback riding, speech and debate, choir, you name it, I did it. And so that was a lot of same age socialization because, you know, basketball, the basketball teams are, you know, broken up by age. So I had a lot of same age peers uh, through those extracurricular activities. But also my college style school also had a lot of um, engagement because I did go to that normal school with my peers those two days a week. So it was really great. But like I said, even if you're entirely homeschooled, you can use those community opportunities. So that socialization aspect was really There's hit. still <laughs> stuff out there uh, is what you're saying. It's mm -hmm. not like you're just in the living room yeah. all day with uh, mom and dad yes. giving you math lessons. I mean, there are other components. Yes. Tell us why you wanted to go to law school, because that makes me happy. Yes. Uh, so I wanted to actually be an ER doctor like my mom uh, all the way up until halfway through my undergrad. So I was actually a major in chemistry. But then what kind of kicked off the conversation, and it wasn't the reason why I wanted to go to law school or the reason why I switched my major, but what kicked off the conversation was that was around the time where you would start taking MCAT prep, you would start studying, you know, like, and so obviously it begs the question, do we really want to, you know, like we, me, my family, are we sure that we want to go to medical school? And the answer could be an easy yes. And then the problem, you know, like you just move on. But uh, yeah, so that was the question that was asked. And uh, that's when I did a lot of soul searching, a lot of self-reflection and realized that I was really fortunate to have parents who not only knew that they didn't have to take no for an answer, but also had the ability to come up with their own answer, you know? So not everybody even knows that homeschooling is an option, but even if they do, they can't necessarily take advantage of that because life is busy and so I realized how fortunate I was because even though this shouldn't be true we all know that I would not have been able to be a 19 year old lawyer and be a product of our public school system so because of that I switched my major to education because I wanted to change the way it functions and I like to think of it as two main umbrellas one being inside the system being that teacher uh, who creates that classroom where students can thrive and build their path and be their best selves and excel or outside the system being that attorney who writes legislation for teachers in the system to do just that. So um, that's what sparked me to change my major to education and then start studying for the LSAT. <laughs> Haley! Haley for president! <laughs> um, you are so impressive. And I tell you, something that I find particularly impressive about you is your energy and your enthusiasm. You have a sense of optimism that is really infectious. And it is also, I mean, it's contagious. I'm just, I want to just say, yes, yes, yes let's, let's do all that. Let's talk about what you would like to change. 
in the system of public education. So now I'm going to fast forward you a few years. Let's say you've been practicing law. Let's say you've got, you know, a great job, maybe working in the Department of Education. And that's the great thing about law school. By the way, side note, when I went to law school, it was not because I said, oh, one day Judge Judy is going to hire me to do small claims cases on TV. Um, It wasn't that. Uh, It was... I felt like it's a degree that leaves a lot of doors open. It was important to me to know that uh, I'd always be able to make a living for myself and uh, build my nest and support myself and, you know, my community in ways that made me comfortable. And law is a great way to do all of that. It's also kind of, and it's a blank check because you can do so many things with a law degree. So now- Let, let's talk about the magic that you're going to do with yours. So let's say, let's say, you know, we're some years from now, you have a law degree and you have a job where you can influence educational policy. What is the thing that you would like to change about this, about the educational system? There's a lot of things that uh, could use some improvements, but some of the things that I've already been advocating for are, are acts like the Crown Act. I think that that's really important, obviously, not only creating an inclusive environment that um, actually uh, supports learning in our classrooms, uh, but welcoming the students, you know, not discriminating based on the fact that they have curly hair or locks and seeing how that's racism and cultural discrimination. Uh, teacher diversity is important, so that way we minimize those microaggressions and racism in that way. You know, you see it, you could be in will create more teachers of color that do exactly that. Um, that also diminishes the pipelines and pumps that we have in our school system, whether it be uh, to prison or otherwise. Um, there's a lot of technological investment that we can do, investing in uh, Wi-Fi and tablets and all that good stuff for all students and all schools in our whole country, uh, because you should be able to have a, the best quality education no matter where in the world you're living. And, um, you know, so, you know, you got to start somewhere. So hopefully America can, it can be a leader in that if we write those policies. Like I said, that ties to income inequity, uh, making sure that schools and lower socioeconomic statuses don't have worse quality education or less opportunities to make their students competitive for higher education and jobs. So that means providing gift and talented programs, AP and honors courses, which not all schools do because of funding. And uh, that makes their students less competitive for higher education and better paying jobs which means that their kids are born in lower socioeconomic status environments, which means they go to those same schools and it's a cycle where they also have kids in those same environments. And that shouldn't make a difference in the quality of education that um, our citizens are getting. So these are just a few things that I've been advocating for. And there's a lot of different avenues on how to even implement the suggestions that I'm suggesting, but there's a lot of other things I didn't even talk about. So, uh, you know, you could start anywhere, you know, you always say you got to start somewhere, you can start anywhere. And it, it, you know, there are, are possible solutions there. Uh, and you've mentioned a number of them. I mean, the Crown Act, for instance, would ban discrimination against uh, people. And it's usually women of color. And to put a more precise mm-hmm. on it, it's usually black women who are held mm-hmm. a very strict standard about how their hair is supposed to look and can it be natural and can it uh, be that. So the Crown Act was really intended uh, to address some of those inequities. But you talked about a lot of things that you would like uh, to see changed. I want to talk about something that you mentioned because, you know, you talked about being, you said that before your parents started homeschooling you, uh, there was a situation where 
the school wouldn't test you. So mom took matters into her own hands. But you talked about some of the racism yes. and the microaggressions that you had to endure. And I think that often, you know, especially when we're talking to a broad, uh, diverse audience, people think, you know, those words don't mean anything. Like everybody, you know, microaggression now for a lot of folks seems like a hashtag. Um, and they don't understand yeah. how these sorts of, you know, how that activity can really impact someone when they're a little mm-hmm. kid. Yep. So can you talk to yes. us about some of the things that happened to you before you were homeschooled? And I'm talking now separate yep. from the testing incident, you know, where your parents were like, hey, you know, what? Our, our little kid shouldn't have to deal with this kind of stuff in school. What were some of yes. the things that you had to endure? Yeah, so there were several, one of which was when we were on the topic of slavery in our class. I had other uh, students, other people of my peer group would look over at me and say, you know, if we live back in that day, I would own you. And of course, as a 10 year old, what do you say? And then why are, why are they saying that? You know, like, it's just a very uncomfortable environment for everybody. There were a plays, school plays that we would do. It was called the play on the war of Northern aggression. And uh, they casted me as the mulatto slave girl in the Southern family. Yeah. Yeah. The war of Northern aggression is the disrespectful way that defenders of slavery refer to the Civil War. So your school was referring to the Civil War as the War of Northern Aggression, which is in and of itself a bit of an offense. Um, And disrespectful. Let's not just say offensive. It is disrespectful to history and to the the Americans who fought the Civil War. So there's that. But then... Your school yes. has 10-year-old you playing the, yep. they called it the mulatto slave. That's That was your role. Slave in girl. Yeah. You were the mulatto, mulatto slave girl. girl of the Southern family. Yes. So How my many- dad threw a fit and they, they decided to move me to the Northern family and make me the abolitionist, which... You know, I don't even know why this was happening in the first place, this play. So this was a terrible idea. Um, There was a lot of, like, uh, peer interaction where I would come home and tell my mom I didn't think I was pretty or that I didn't think that I should be as smart or as bold as I was being because I wanted to be the the rabbit or the golden retriever, which was the the way my friends referred to those people as the nice social butterflies, the golden retriever who was friends with everybody. And they called me the lion, who, although was the leader, was often very mean and didn't have a lot of friends. And I didn't want to be the lion. So I was I was changing the way I was behaving to be a golden retriever. I didn't think I was very pretty because that's just how the the peers peer interactions played out. So there was a lot of issues in the school and then the GT thing. So they pulled me out. (laughs) They called you a lion because at 10 years old, you were mean because what the you didn't want to be the little slave girl in the play and you didn't want your 10 year old classmate. Pointing out that they owned you, so that made you mean. Yep. Yes. Oh, I was Haley. Mean. Oh, I was Haley. Oh, Haley. <laughs> oh, Haley. Yeah. So Haley then goes to Haley's uh, wonderful parents and shout out to your ER doctor mom and campaign manager dad. I don't know their names. I don't know all their backgrounds, but I know that. Uh, given what you just said, which I'm sure is just the tip of the iceberg, um, God bless them for saving you and protecting you from all that. For real. And, and, yes. and you on this path. 
I, so you've yes, now, absolutely. you're now a law school graduate. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, about, Thank you. you're about to take the bar. Where, what bar are you going to take? Texas bar. Yeah. So that's exciting. <laughs> and then uh, you'll do what? You'll start applying for jobs in Texas. Do you already have a job? What's the next yes. step? Yes. Yes, I already have a job. I'm going to be teaching at EA Young here in South Lake. I'm going to teach AP government and politics. So I'm really looking forward to not only getting that foundation, but giving back. I feel really called to teaching. And it's been a common thread in my family and in my life. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about you. I think that there's a real tendency these days, you know, you can get down. Like we watch the news. We see horrible news. We see things, horrible things happening to people. We sometimes need to be reminded of the greatness and the brilliance that's out there. And that's why I wanted to have you on. Uh, Haley, I would like you to give some advice to young people who feel bothered by the sorts of microaggressions, by the racism that you've talked about. And even if that isn't the struggle, you know, everybody has a thing. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody's not talking about your hair. Maybe someone's talking about you because you have a disability or because your parents don't have money. Yeah. Um, you know, or for any one yeah. number of reasons. There are so many ways yeah. in which young people these days uh, can be made to feel excluded, to be made to feel like they don't belong, uh, like this country doesn't mm-hmm. belong to them, like they can't find their seat at the table. Haley, I need you to give everybody some advice and uh, steer them on the right path with that. How does somebody move forward when they're getting a lot of messages and a lot of signaling suggesting to them, you know what, success isn't for you? What's your advice to those people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And what I like to say, and it applies to anybody, but specifically the audience that you just named, uh, I think it really resonates most with that audience is uh, that you don't find your path, you make it. And um, I like to emphasize to anybody who's listening that you're not going to just find a shell of yourself someday uh, in your life and climb into it. And then you're you, you're you. You're not going to find a golden paved road with lights in your name and you walk down it and find all the success you ever wanted in life. You you really um, and it's really empowering, you know, to think about it that way, because if you don't like the way life is looking, you can, de- you know, debuild it and repave the road, uh, you know, undo it and redo it. And of course, that's easier said than done. And sometimes a lot of advocacy is involved to be able to give people equal tools to build their path. But um, it's still empowering to have that mindset that you have more control and life's not happening to you, you're happening to life kind of thing. So uh, that's what I like to emphasize. (laughs) (laughs) Who are your mentors? Who inspires you? And and when I talk about mentors, you know, you said something that I try to remind young people of. I was talking to... um, Two young women recently, one was a young African-American woman, one was a young uh, Latina. And what I said to them is that when you're looking for mentors, a lot, you know, you're going to be in situations where there may not be anybody who looks like you. I, I do believe representation matters. I think that it means, a bit, it means something um, for people to see images of success and heroism. Uh, that look like them. Yeah. But I also think that as a reality, and you, and I'm, I'm just telling you this right now, as you, a uh, young African-American woman lawyer entering the practice, there are going to be some rooms where there's nobody else who looks like you. You may be the only Black woman lawyer, uh, you know, in that room, on that case, doing that deal. And so 
It's important that we remember that our allies, our mentors, the people will have our backs, the people who will have our backs, uh, they won't necessarily look like us all the time. You know, they might look very different. Who have been some of your mentors? Yeah, so I think my biggest life mentor uh, has been my mom. Uh, she not only everything we discussed with uh, when I was younger, but, you know, and also I wouldn't be here without her literally. But even in like the grand scheme of life, I uh, don't think I've ever had a supporter as big as her, somebody who believed in me when I didn't even know that I needed somebody to believe in me. Not only is like, you know, believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. I didn't even know that that was something that was necessary at that time. And she saw it. She's always seen the end goal, the light at the end of the tunnel, that beacon. Um, and she's really built me in a way where I can see it and I have uh, hardworking uh, tendencies and a uh, strong drive to be successful because of her. So um, she's taught me everything I know. She's the reason I'm on this planet. Uh, she's the reason why I'm in the spaces that I'm in. And she's been my biggest life mentor in law school and out of law school. So it's all thanks to her. <laughs> here, here. It starts with mom. Um, I'm right there with you, uh, yeah. by the way. I, I, about mine too. You are an inspiration, Haley, and I want, I'm going to follow you. I want to uh, keep abreast of what you're doing. I want us to stay in touch. And, you know, you're a young woman entering the practice. I've been in the practice for a bit. So I want you to reach out to me if you've got questions or concerns or want to meet folks. Um, I am here to help your path. That's what we all do. We pay it forward. You're somebody who's a young star in the making. So I'd love to do whatever I can to help you out. You got a big future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, You have truly inspired all of us. Haley Taylor Schmidt, be like her. Be like Haley. Thanks, Haley. (laughs) Thank you.